Welcome to Fireside with VoxGig, a podcast for professional and aspiring public speakers. I'm your host, Orla Shanahi of VoxGig, an online community for speakers and event professionals. We're here to help you get the most out of speaking, organizing, exhibiting and attending. In each episode, I sit down for a relaxed fireside chat with people in the public speaking community. My aim is to learn how they've mastered the art of getting up on stage and speaking in front of an audience. If you're an aspiring speaker or just want to improve your onstage performance, this podcast will help you learn from some of the most accomplished and interesting professional conference speakers. And just before we begin, a quick shout out and thank you to our sponsor, simplecast.com, the first and last word in podcasts. Today, I'm speaking with Maureen Murray. Maureen is a tech innovator and ethics evangelist with a passion for creating technical products that produce a positive social impact. Previously, Maureen was senior digital content producer at the BBC. She's a TEDx speaker and one of the co-founders of Tech for Good. This is an Ireland-based community of more than 1,750 people. It's open to everyone, and its free events showcase projects and technologies that are solving everyday problems and having a positive impact on people, communities, and the planet. In 2018, Tech for Good Dublin were the finalists in the Innovation for Change category of the Irish Red Cross Humanitarian Awards. Maureen, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Delighted to be here, Orla. Maureen, you've given a TEDx talk. It's on YouTube. I watched it myself. It's really fascinating. So I just wanted to really start off by asking you uh, what that experience was like and how it came about. Yes. So I suppose in terms of the TEDx talk, it was fantastic to have the opportunity to talk. It's such an amazing platform. Like everyone's heard of TEDx. And I said to people, you know, I've done a TEDx talk. They're like, oh my gosh, you're the first person I know who's ever done a TEDx talk. You know, as though it was some kind of special, you know, exclusive club or something that you become a member of. So absolutely, it was fantastic um, to be involved and to have the opportunity to give a TEDx talk. Like it was scary too. And when I knew there was an opportunity to speak at the first ever TEDx event in Limerick, you know, I immediately said yes, but it was kind of at the same time, I was kind of a bit nervous. I was like saying yes, but it's like, oh my gosh, you know, it's going to be quite daunting in some ways to have that opportunity. I didn't hesitate. Mm-hmm. Myself and Ellen Ward, we both um, started Tech for Good, gosh, about maybe two years ago. And Tech for Good is a community of techies and designers, activists, like basically everyone's welcome. We showcase different new Tech for Good products. It's very much a community, really. And I think through that work, I developed, I suppose people heard about the work that I was doing. So it's kind of strange, you know, I kind of really focused on the work and then from doing that work, I had the opportunity then to really talk about it and to share what I was doing. And as I said, myself and Alan Ward, who's the other co-founder of Tech for Good, we, um, yeah, we did the TEDx in June of this year. Okay, so that's quite recent. Okay. And um, can you tell us, what you learned from the experience, positive and maybe not so positive, if there was anything? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like the thing is, like, I mean, I don't consider myself a natural presenter at all. I still remember doing my kind of first debate at school, which was almost my last one because it didn't go well. And the topic was girls just want to have fun, which was, uh-huh. and I was speaking against the motion saying that, you know, you know, girls are really serious. We want to change the world. We want to have impact. But I wasn't used to talking in front of people. You know, I didn't have the confidence. I didn't have the skills. 
even though I had the ideas and there, there was a lot that I wanted to communicate, I didn't have those communication skills speaking in a debate. And I can still remember like I totally went to pieces. Like there was one of those moments where you, you don't forget where I just t- took this like hysterical. And one of these people, when I'm nervous, I kind of laugh or smile. So I started, you know, kind of laughing almost hysterically. And, you know, the irony, of course, being this was a bit of girls that want to have fun. <laughs> it wasn't a great start to my public speaking career. Okay. <laughs> so it's something that I've learned, I guess, over the years I've learned, you know, because I've had the opportunity to speak. I suppose I think it's important as women that we share our ideas. You know, we've got things we want to share. We've got insights, we've ideas. It's important that we put those out there. You know, if we want to have that kind of thought leadership, I mean, I hate that word, being a thought leader, but the reality is that a lot of women have amazing perspectives on the world, but they need to share it in the public platform so that other people can support what they're doing, can get on board, so it can become part of a public debate and a public discourse. So for me, speaking in public, it's not something that I absolutely love. Like I am an extrovert, but I don't like speaking on stage. So I'm not a performer, so I don't get a buzz from the crowd. I'm like, oh, I feel amazing after that. I'm not somebody that gets that kind of buzz or energy from speaking at a live event. But I absolutely love having the opportunity to do it because I think it's so important. Mm -hmm. Supposing you were to do another one or another speaking gig, equally high profile, is there anything you did there that you wouldn't do again or that you would do again? I suppose what I did for the TEDx talk, which I don't normally do, is really practice. Okay. (laughs) I've put a lot of work into it. Like I suppose a lot of talks that I do, yeah, some of them I present, I'd practice more than others. Like we all make the mistake of, you know, become obsessing over the PowerPoint rather than our message. But I think with the TEDx talk, I really spent a lot of time, like a lot of time scripting it, a lot of time practicing it, got loads of feedback from people that I know in the tech for good community. So in some ways it was actually, it was completely a team effort. And obviously Alan Ward was presenting it with me. So early on we decided, okay, let's split it in three. I'm a big fan of like beginning, middles and ends. So I kind of thought, okay, well, look, I'll start. We'll have a bit in the middle where we really focus on tech for good examples. And then I'll kind of round it up so that it has a kind of coherence as a presentation. Okay. So when I was kind of thanking people afterwards for about the TEDx, I gosh, I had so many people to thank because so many people listened to me, listened to me practicing, you know, had some idea that then ended up being the final talk. So it was, mm-hmm. you know, it was very much kind of a team effort and a community yeah. effort. Yeah, that's great. And it's also great that you're acknowledging that publicly. It can be quite deceptive, you know, speaking on stage because you just see one person. And this is from the audience's point of view, I mean. And it's really nice to acknowledge that, like most things, it's actually a team effort. So um, one thing I just wanted to touch on, you kind of brought it up there, is about um, women in tech. Today is the UNESCO International Day of the Girl. And I know that women in tech is one of your passions. Would you like to say anything in particular about that? And what can we all be doing, really, in a more general sense to encourage girls to get into tech and promote them once they're there? Well, I suppose talking in public and doing TEDx's and talking on stage, again, that's partly why I do it, because we have to be visible as women, as leaders, you know, as as women involved using technology as a tool, we absolutely need to be visible so that other people can look at us and say, okay, we, we can be there too. We can, you know, you have to see it to be it. Yeah. So in terms of technology, I don't consider myself a techie. I was actually giving, I was giving a talk last night at a Women in Tech Africa event and I said, look, the pixels, because I, I, a lot of the work that I've done has been around digital technology. I'm not excited by, by pixels, you know, the little squares that are, yeah. that are your screen. 
I'm not somebody who gets excited by the tool. It's very much what are we going to use the tool for, which is part of the whole TEDx talk as well, as you know. Mm -hmm. So this idea, technology is only a tool. And the whole idea is what we use the tool for. So it's so important that we're using technology for purpose, for making our world better, for making our communities better, for solving the problems we need to solve. Not using technology to sell things, you know, to sell sell more stuff, to create more stuff, where the world is kind of like suffocating and stuff. Yes, and we're poisoning our planet with stuff. For me, the purpose is the most important thing, and what impact we're trying to have. The technology is only a tool; it doesn't. I don't get excited by it. It's something to me. It's very practical. If there's something, if we want to have, if we want to solve a problem, then think through. Well, okay, how do we solve it? What is the, the, the tool that we can use? What is the technology we can use? Mm-hmm. Are we going to create an app? Are we going to do something wearable tech? You know, are we going to create something with the kind of internet of things? Whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So that the problem and the purpose really has to come first and the okay. technology follows. And there are other, there's so many other factors as well in terms of what tool that we use. And sometimes it's to do as well with budget, it's to do with the skills and a team. For me, everything has to be purpose-led. So yes. that's where we can make a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in terms of women in technology, you know, I love physics. I love maths, um, science subjects, as well as art and, you know, poetry and kind of the whole creative subject as well. And unfortunately, that they were seen as being somehow two different streams, which I totally disagree with, because to me, it's, they're all ways to explore the world and to make sense of the world. So I ended up having to study art as like an extra subject. So for me, you know, you're not a techie or a creative I am absolutely somebody who believes they're all different skills that we use mm-hmm. when solving problems. So, yeah. So for me, as I said, I ended up doing mostly science A-levels. And to be honest, I didn't go on and study science at university or engineering at university for my first degree because I thought it was a bit boring and dull. <laughs> I always saw myself as one of the cool kids. And I was like, <laughs> I like your honesty. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, was, yeah. You know, I want to be hanging around the arts block. I don't want to be, you know. Exactly, yeah. And I'm not proud of that at all, looking back on it. You know, I didn't see maybe the bigger picture, but it shows, but it shows, I suppose, in a, in a serious note, it shows how small things can really influence career choices. Yes. You know, it's important that people realize that using technology is exciting. Mm-hmm. You know, that it is world changing. If you want to change the world, yes, learn about technology, learn how to use it. Mm-hmm. In terms of choosing science subjects, like it wasn't a hard choice to make because the school I went to, it was a bit like Dairy Girls, except it was in County Down. So, you know, so it wasn't perceived as being, oh, there were no boys there anyway. So it wasn't like, oh, it's a boys taught subject. You know, we have amazing science teachers. I suppose in a way, Orla, I am really, really privileged. And you have to recognize your privilege and recognize, well, okay, it's not just like, I'm just so brilliant. This is how I ended up where I am or doing a TEDx talk, it's actually because of all the privileges that I've had along the way and that brings responsibility with it. Yes. You know, so in terms of like my privileges, like both my parents are teachers. I was brought up in a house that was full, literally full of books. It was like a library. I've got three different degrees, all of which were paid for by Europe. Mm-hmm. So I'm incredibly privileged. I was also brought up by um, parents who are extremely progressive. And I still remember at a very young age as a girl, I said something in passing like, oh, I couldn't do that. I'm a girl or something. Some level I had obviously absorbed unconscious bias. And I remember my dad said, because I still remember it. He was like, what did you say? And he completely challenged me on it and was like, you know, and totally challenged me. Like almost like I never said that again. Or why why would you think that? Or, 
Do you know? And I, I remember it because it was the only time I ever thought it and the only time I ever said it. Um, so like we are all like we're, we're sponges and of course we're influenced by, and we don't even realize, you know, how we're kind of absorbing different influences and societal influences, which limit our thinking and, yes. and which limit our perspectives. So as I said, uh, you know, as I said, I consider myself extremely privileged but as I said, having that privilege, it's something then, it's how do you use it? How do you use the privileges that you have, the skills that you have, you know, the resources that you have to make a difference in the world? That's a really fantastic and refreshing perspective. You just mentioned there about going to an old girl's secondary school. It reminded me of something, I'm digressing slightly, but I have heard that all girls secondary school is actually actually leads to better outcomes for girls in terms of academic performance. I'm not sure if the social skills are included in that. Do you have a perspective on that? Because we hear a lot as well about co-ed, how that has different benefits. Yeah, I suppose my perspective is in terms of um, girls doing really well academically. Yes, of course, girls are brilliant and every bit as clever and more clever than boys. You know, that's a kind of a given. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all women know that because we know ourselves we're women and we know that we're every bit as smart as guys are. So that is a given. But I think that often the challenge is when we leave kind of our safe world of, like I went to this common grammar school, it was an amazing education, which again was a privilege because it was a free grammar school education. So you leave that safe world then you go to university, whatever. But then once you kind of go beyond that, you're suddenly into the Wild West. You know, you don't know what the rules are. Um, you don't know how you wheel and deal. You don't know how to hustle. You know, Casey put something up on LinkedIn about this. And she was saying, you know, that we need to teach girls the rules of engagement, almost like mm-hmm. in the world of work or in the world of beyond school and beyond formal education. And I suppose I think that is true, but we also need to be have the confidence to break rules, to realize that we can make up our own rules. I think that's real confidence and in a sense that's real empowerment to realize, okay, I see that I see what what's going on here. I see what's up the game is here, but I'm actually choosing. I'm not going to be part of it. Oh, yes. Well, as kind of saying, okay, so, you know, I see what's going on here in a workplace who's being promoted and why they're being promoted. I'm going to suddenly try to learn the rules and obey them better than everybody else. And the situational awareness to look around us in any, in any place we are, you know, to realize the dynamics, to realize the agendas, to realize the subtle power, power games that are, are at play and mm-hmm. decide, well, how do we want to engage with that? Do we want to play along? You don't have to. Not everybody has to try to climb some horrible cor- corporate hierarchy. Mm-hmm. That yes. is not, that's only one choice we have. You know, as individuals, we may choose, okay, look, I see what's going on. I don't want to engage with this. I still want to, you know, I still love aspects of what I do, whatever. So I think that's really important to have that confidence and not be trying to play and also not to have the confidence to feel, okay, I have to, I have to be really obedient. I have to do all the rules the right way. Um, which I think is a trap you fall into when you lack confidence. And I'm not just saying it's a gender thing, but often when we lack confidence, we want to fit in. You know, mm-hmm. so, we, so we become a job's worth. We're like, oh, no, we can't do it that way. We have to do it that way. Or, oh, you know, we start becoming this, um, this kind of slightly more robotic, you know, kind of obedient person who doesn't, he's not, he may not be contributing and he may not end up being as effective because of it, mm-hmm. because they haven't got the boldness to realize, well, look, sometimes rules are being, being made to be broken. There is a bigger picture at play. So from your point of view, then, would it be a case of, if you don't like what's on the table, kick over the table? Or am I sensing that maybe for you, it's a little bit more subtle that you 
advocate working from within a system to change the system? Look, it's everything. There's no one. I mean, I, I don't see things in the world as binary. You know, there's so many different perspectives and they all have an essence of truth about them. Of course, you know, in some situations, if you're working or involved in something and you don't feel it's a safe space, absolutely leave if that's what kicking over the table means. I suppose in terms of working, I don't know what, the, what system you're referencing because we're all, you know, we're all parts of systems. We're all players in systems. Mm-hmm. But I think the key thing is to be aware, to be aware of the situation and the agendas around you, the values as well, the values that are at play, and also to be aware of what what your values are, what your boundaries are. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the key thing in, in any in any situation, whether it's a work thing, whether it's a social a social environment. Yeah, it's 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 being clear on that. Mm-hmm. I guess I was thinking of the history of the movement of the left in politics and social development, that that's something that you read sometimes that there's a conflict sometimes within leftist movements. Should we work from within the system or should we be the more more fundamental kick over the table approach? Yeah. But I completely appreciate what you're saying that it doesn't have to be that binary, you know, that there are many graduations within that yeah i mean as i said and look i grew up up north so i know you know politics you're surrounded by politics and it's something i've engaged i engaged a little with at one stage i was involved with the women's coalition um, which was it was very much a movement of women coming together complete diverse voices complete diverse backgrounds and wanting to contribute and saying, look, let's kind of bang heads together you know the dinosaurs have had their day and mm-hmm. we need a fresh perspective so that that's what I was excited by, you know, and that's what excites me still. And that's why I'm not a, at the moment a member of any political party. Um, because for me, it's it's about creating change is the key thing. We need to kind of focus on that. Um, it's about trying to have a positive impact. And mm-hmm. people from so many different parties, from so many different ideologies, so many people, there are good people almost everywhere and people who, who are having a really positive impact, you know, so who am I to judge? So all I do is try to do my bit, you know, and I try to kind of create, you know, contribute to community, share positive stories, share positive examples, because I think that's what, um, that's how we create change as well. You know, you can create, you can do something amazing or you can create an amazing tech for good product. If nobody knows about it, what a pity. But if you create, you know, tech for good product and if you share the learning, if you kind of give it a platform and other countries know about it, other cities know about it, other communities know about it. So you can then scale and share a solution elsewhere. So that's why I think it's so important that we share the stories, that we tell the stories as well as creating amazing tech for good products. Because look, the problems are so vast that we need a combined collaborative approach. And if we're coming, if there's an, like recently I was at, uh, last week we had a launch of a wonderful new app, which is an Irish sign language app by a team um, in boarding who are a team from, they're actually from Brazil. So it's amazing contribution that they're making to be creating this for us. But that's something that that equally could be used for the other 60 sign languages, you know, in the world. So once we come up with one solution, where it gets really exciting is if we can scale it and if we can share it and if we can localize it Mm -hmm. for different places. Um, that's where I think that's where it can get really exciting. So like what really inspires me at the moment, it's the idea that, you know, at our essence, we're not competitive. Like it's like we've all been kind of fed this myth. Oh, it's, you know, it's competition of the fit, survival of the fittest. 
you know, we're kind of this kind of, we're kind of descendants of these kind of greedy, greedy ape-like creatures, you know, we're kind of ruthless, we're individuals, and that that's somehow a given, that's, that's somehow a truth. And that's quite a scary, uh, kind of a, quite a scary ideology that's been really kind of dominant, like for the last, gosh, number of years. But it's, to me, it's really exciting that that's now being challenged. Um, and you've got writers like Douglas um, Rushkoff, and his whole thing is, well, like, okay, like this, this is not true. Let's look at nature. Let's look at a forest. And the whole idea is that in a forest, on the one hand, we can say, oh, look, that's another example. In the forest, the trees are all competing for light. They're competing for water. It's, again, survival of the fittest. But he's saying, well, hold on. Let's, when we look deeper, when we look under the surface, when we look at a subtle level, those trees are connected by this whole root system with fungi. And they're actually exchanging nutrients. They're exchanging energy. And to me, that's so, so exciting, you know, to say, well, look, hold on a second, being collaborative, sharing resources, that's what nature is all about. And that's what we can be all about as well. Yeah, I've heard about that book. Uh, He has written the book, right? The person you're talking about? I've seen his blog and read his blogs and seen videos of him. I haven't read his book. Yeah, me neither. It sounds like a brilliant read. That's such an interesting idea. Such an, such a, you know, it's the kind of idea that you instantly think, yes, exactly. you know, about the trees and the roots. No, completely. And I think for, for the age we're now in, that's, those are the ideas we need. Like, you know, we don't need those old ideas of being disruptive, competing, you know, kind of this exploitative model um, of what business is about. You know, you know, that's the past. Recently, Forbes had, they put, I'm not sure if you heard, or like Forbes recently um, published a list of the 100 most innovative kind of business leaders in America. And there was one woman on it, which, which was like so, so shocking. You're kidding me. No, one woman. And you kind Aww. of think, well, hold on a second. You know, what are those guys? Because 99 of them were guys. Like, what are they modeling? Like so much of what they're modeling is, you know, exploitative business practice, practices, selling people things they absolutely don't need. Like that's where the tech for good movement is really exciting because you're saying, look, if we were to harness, you know, real invention, kind of initiative, mm-hmm. you know, if we were to kind of harness that and the, and the skills that technology yeah, and that power of technology, if we can harness all that, but have it focusing on purpose, not, mm-hmm. not on profit. Like, you know, there's so much we can do. And as I said, and the really exciting thing is that women are at the forefront of so many like tech for good companies in Dublin. Um, you know, so many of them have got like women founders. So, so like women are absolutely showing that they, they are innovative, that they are leaders and um, that they use tech, you know, that some of them, some of them are more excited by tech than I am. As I said, I say it very much as a tool, but you know, mm-hmm. that the tech can be used. To, to solve the things, to make our world better in a, in a, in a very idealistic way. Mm-hmm. That's what we're doing so that there are people like, for example, Halita Halsier from way to be um, and she and her co-founder Robbie are making this amazing um, wearable watch app, which is to help adults with special needs travel independently. Like it's just amazing. It's changing people's worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, or Ashing Byrne and her amazing um, new wardrobe, which is a platform which supports the service economy, you know, overcoming fast fashion. So there are so many women who are showing leadership, you know, tech savviness and absolutely are, yeah, are, so, so they're really kind of leading the way. So, so that's what's really exciting and refreshing. Mm-hmm. 
what you're saying there is just reminding me, um, was it an article that you wrote or, or shared? And there was a quote in it that really, you know, maybe no. it's the age of hustling individualism and competition is over. <laughs> do you remember <laughs> saying that? <laughs> I do. That was the, that was the blog post I wrote after I'd been to the web summit last year. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. And it was like, yeah. And it's something like I've never been, I've never seen myself as a hustler or never been particularly good at it because to me, it's all about, you know, to me as women, um, we don't, we shouldn't be trying to sell ourselves because that detracts from our kind of core essence. The key thing is that we kind of learn to kind of be confident being ourselves, you know, warts and all, we don't have to be perfect. You know, so many Mm -hmm. women suffer from this kind of imposter syndrome because this whole, I think, okay, we have to be presenting something that we're not. There's absolute strength in being, being who you are, you know, no apologies, this is who I am. This is what I'm good at. This is what I'm struggling with. I know this is not my whatever superhero strength, but but this is what I'm amazing at. And, you know, I'm aware of my weaknesses. Like if we can kind of stand strong individually, but then if we can be part of a community, like it's just so powerful. It's such a safe space to be in. And um, yeah, I wrote about kind of like hugging being the new hustling. Yes. That was, that was after um, after being to the web summit. I totally wasn't hustling at all. I didn't even know. To, well, you know, I was there because I was there to connect. I was there to meet people, to connect with people, to hug people. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a passion for kind of like protect the good. There was no clear agenda or, um, you know, business plan or purpose that I was following. Mm-hmm. It was really to be, to be part of a community, to be part of a tribe. And, and we need that. You know, in ancient times, we'd have gathered around a fire, like as a tribe, we would have told stories. We would have gathered strength from each other. And we still need that. And that's where we need events because at events, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we are gathering to, to, you know, get warmth from each other. We, we don't always physically hug or whatever, but that's what we're doing. We're actually looking at each other, making eye contact, being in close proximity with each other. And as I said, gaining inspiration and gaining strength, which is so needed. As I said, not having one, not, I mean, going back to, because I studied philosophy for my first degree, and there was a whole, one of the philosophers is Immanuel Kant, and the whole thing is about ethics, is seeing people as a means, you know, that we shouldn't see people as a means to, our, to an end. And in business, that's what so much of it's about, you know, having goals, having... Oh, yes targets or what what they, what did they call them salespeople prospects or whatever yeah. prospects that you want to somehow maneuver yourself beside at the drinks reception or something you know and it's kind of like I'm much more of a believer in um serendipity and energy and just that things happen you know you, you know so so as I said so I'm much more into talking to whoever's beside me in the queue and maybe I'll have an amazing connection with them Oh, yes. Yeah. You're just making me think of a guest I had on here a couple of, maybe about two months ago now. Mm -hmm. She was a dialogue coach and pitching coach. So she helped business professionals prepare their pitches, promoting their product or whatever, except she didn't like the word pitch. The branding she had come up with was uh, the cocktail pitch. And by that, she wanted to get across the, it was Bonnie Williams. She's uh, on the webpage there, a few podcasts back. She wanted to get across the idea that it's just, forget about the pitch, forget about being in the elevator, you know, the standard elevator pitch, 30 seconds where you sell your product. Her idea was that that is so awful. And you should just think of standing at a bar, whether you have a cocktail or not in your hand, and you're just telling someone about yourself or your product. 
And I, I'm just seeing little commonalities here with what you were saying. Yeah. That this confrontational kind of business is really, and not just for women. I mean, there are plenty of men who hate it as well. You know, that it's such an uncomfortable thing to go and talk at someone. But it's just become the norm. So we all kind of often tend to just go along with it. No, exactly. And I suppose that's why so that blog, what kind of plugging is the new hustling. It was also the idea of the strength of community because, you know, in a community and it doesn't have to, you know, because again, in terms of community, sometimes in, in a work or business sense, people are into this horrible, hideous, like fever bank. Oh yes. You know, I, you know, this whole idea, there's nothing such thing as a free lunch and oh yes, I'll give you a corporate ticket for such and such. And, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know these horrible kind of exchanges that are never um, formalized, but it, everybody's aware of which I, I don't like either you know because I think it's I mean I suppose my approach is to try to be as generous like, as I can and as inclusive as I can to the community of people you know that I kind of unpop, go along with and that community changes obviously different events they're different people but I'm I suppose I just love meeting new people and, and really curious what people are doing and mm-hmm. genuinely would like to see if there's some kind of common we have if there's some connection if there's some way that I can help them um, because I'm very lucky that, that I'm in the position to do that you know that I can do that Maureen you've certainly given well me for one plenty of food for thought I hope the listeners feel the same um, we're almost to the end of our time I just wanted to say one more thing that I found in one of your articles I think you like this phrase make a positive dent in the universe which was paraphrased from Steve Jobs I believe um, I think it was on one of the slides in your TED talk it might have been your co-founder who said it actually it's just a lovely yes yeah. way of putting it and it's quite funny because Steve Jobs was not always known for what would we say <laughs> how can we put this so we don't want to speak ill of the dead just that you know, that he may have been or had a slightly aggressive style in business. So it's quite ironic, really, that we're quoting him. But anyway, uh, make a positive dent in, in the universe. That, yeah. is, is that something that you yes, that's something hold that, dear? No, absolutely. I mean, that was something um, like in terms of Steve Jobs, when we talk about techies and, you know, a lot of people kind of look up to what Steve Jobs achieved. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely, you know, in terms of his, I suppose, his brilliance, his leadership, his determination you know he I mean he's quite he's quite a paradoxical you know character because yeah, yeah. he wasn't into collaboration you know he was into this benign dictatorship which mm-hmm. is also, which is also sometimes needed when you're creating a product and trying to get something made and actually finished you know there, we all yeah. need to have as as tech and creative leaders some like we all need to have a certain element of um, benign dictator in us I kind of sometimes joke with my team and say oh you know I'm a bit of a benign dictator you know I would you know that you have clarity you have clarity mm-hmm. of vision and you have clarity of um you have a real focus in terms of making decisions um but yes so in terms of yeah I included that slide in in the TEDx talk because I thought it was so so key like we want to have an impact we all it's just such a basic need um to want to have an impact in some small way you know whether you're kind of buying somebody a free cup of coffee see somebody who's homeless on the street you know whether it's you know helping your helping if you've got you know if you've got children you know helping your child to kind of to helping them with homework whatever it is like we all want to make some have some kind of impact um, so, so wanting to, so ha- wanting to have purpose, it's key to who we are, regardless of what our society is, regardless of what, what our economy is. From the very beginning, is that mm-hmm. we are spiritual beings as well as being people who make things and sell things. So, to me, like wanting to kind of make a dent in the universe, that's also 
That's us. It's just at the, it's the essence of who we are. Mm-hmm. That we want to make things. We want to solve problems. We want to be listened to. Um, and that's why it can be very frustrating when people, if they're women or if they're from an ethnic minority, for whatever reason, if they feel I'm not able to contribute in this environment, I'm not able to contribute in this setting because people are dismissing me. They're not listening to me. So, that, so that's why it's, you know, have it being kind of being open to being an ally is so important because it's such a, it's a, it's such a need we have, as I said, to be mm-hmm. heard, but as I said, to make a difference. The website is techforgooddublin.org. Uh, are you on social media and all that stuff as well? Absolutely. If anyone wants to yes, absolutely. Uh, learn a bit more about Tech for Good. Yeah, no, definitely. We've got our meetup group, so everyone's very welcome to join the meetup group. Um, I'm on Twitter as well. We've got Tech for Good on Twitter. And yeah, absolutely. I'm, okay. big, I'm big into kind of conversations and having dialogues. Like yeah. We need to, you know, we just need to have those conversations. We don't all just want, we don't want to be any of us, we don't need to be in an echo chamber. We, you know, we need to listen and hear people who have different viewpoints to ourselves, you know, and be challenged and to grow. We'll put the links and uh, your name because, like many Irish people, we have strange spellings to our names. So <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes for this episode uh, for anyone who's curious to learn more. Maureen, thanks so much for joining me today. It's been an education and a pleasure. Thank you. As I said, delighted to have been here. Goodbye. Bye, Orla. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Fireside with Voxgig podcast. Just a few final notes before the embers fade. You can find show notes and links from this podcast at voxgig.com slash podcasts. We also publish a weekly newsletter on public speaking, selecting the best advice and techniques from some of the world's greatest speakers, both ancient and modern. Rhetoric is an old and revered art, not especially easy to master, but it is a skill like any other and one you can learn. Visit voxgig.com speakers to subscribe to the newsletter. If you've enjoyed this fireside chat, please consider subscribing to our podcast. Please also leave a review that helps us make this podcast even better. If you'd like to contact us directly, you can reach us on Twitter at VoxGig. And if you'd like to be counted as a supporter, just let us know and we'll add you to our supporters page. And one final reminder to check our sponsor, simplecast.com, who helped make this podcast possible. Talk to you next time and remember, take a deep breath, pause and step forward.